Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Anti-Genocide Coffee Break, a multinational podcast. I am your host, Elisa von Jürgen Forgi, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Irena Victoria Massimino and Hoshman Ismael. Today, we'll be introducing each other and talking about our plans for the podcast, as well as discussing the Pope's recent visit to Iraq. We see this podcast as an antidote to the pervasive despair that people are feeling the world over, not only due to the pandemic, but also to the failure of our institutions in the field of genocide prevention and the cause of peace, justice, and equality. This podcast is also an integral part of our Iraq project for genocide prevention. All of the proceeds of this podcast will go to the work of the Iraq project. So usually what we do on this podcast is break down our discussion into four segments, an in-depth segment where we examine um, recent developments in depth, a what's your view segment where we debate and discuss difficult issues, a news segment where we go over briefly some of the recent news in genocide and its prevention, and our last segment will always be an update on Iraq. Today, however, we are going to collapse all the segments together in order to discuss the Pope's recent visit. So I'd like to start this podcast by introdu introducing myself and then handing the microphone over to my two co-hosts who will then introduce themselves. I am currently the Endowed Chair in Holocaust and Genocide Studies at Keene State College in Keene, New Hampshire, in the United States. I have also been President of Genocide Watch, first Vice President of the International Association of Genocide Scholars, and the Dr. Marsha Radikoff-Grossman Professor of Holocaust and Genocide Studies at Stockton University in the state of New Jersey, USA. I am trained in history, specifically of Germany and Africa, but currently work on gender and genocide, genocide prevention, as well as feminist and critical race theory approaches to human security. So, Irene, <laughs> Irena, <laughs> I'm going to hand the mic over to you to introduce us and the Iraq project that this podcast will support. Well, thank you very much, Elisa. It is such a pleasure to share this podcast with, with you and Hoshman, my colleagues and friends. And hello, everyone else. I hope you all have your coffees ready for this interesting hour where we will cover news, topics, and views on genocide and its prevention. So I'll introduce myself now. My name is Irene Victoria Massimino, but you know, you can call me Irene if you want. <laughs> I am a human rights lawyer from Argentina who worked for several years as a rapporteur of the High Criminal Court of Buenos Aires State in Argentina. I received my first law degrees from Argentina, actually, my Master of Laws from Indiana University, Robert McKinney School of Law, and my Master of Arts in Human Rights from the University of London. I am also a professor at two national public universities in Argentina, the Universidad Nacional de 3 de Febrero y Universidad Nacional de José Cepaz, and I am currently also in the Resolutions Committee of uh, the International Association of Genocide Scholars, IAGS. And that brings me to the point where I met Elisa, actually. I met Elisa back in 2015, when we both got elected in Armenia as members of the Executive Board of IAGS. 
Elisa, as she mentioned, got elected as first vice president and I got elected as co-secretary treasurer. Since then, we've been working together on several topics. But what's interesting and what brought us here today to do this podcast and to create the Iraq Project is an invitation we had in 2016 by the Christian community of Iraq to uh, be part or be members of a fact-finding mission to determine the type of crimes that ISIS or ISIL was committed, in, especially in the northern region of Iraq. Since then, and because of how overwhelming the trip was and how touching it was to see refugee camps, to see displaced people, um, members of different communities have lost uh, everything, Elisa and I um, started this Iraq project, which, which is based on three fundamental pillars, genocide prevention, peace building, and human security. In 2017, we went back to Iraq and um, we created a network of people, and that's how Hoshman Ismail came to meet us afterwards and joined this project. We hope to be telling you about the progresses of our project in future podcasts, and we're very excited that it's coming true. It's like a baby being born, and uh, we will nurture it and cherish it very much. I think uh, it will make strong changes, hopefully, for the good, of course, in the Iraqi community. It's based on grassroots, on empowering the grassroots and creative bridges among the different groups in Iraq, Christians, Kakei, uh, um, Muslims, etc., of different ethnicities, nationalities, and um, religions. So please, Hosman, I'll, I'll give the microphone to Hoshman now, who can introduce himself and tell us a bit about his work and, and uh, how excited he is to be here. Hey, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it was great. Um, now I'm, I'm really humbled to work with two great women in two different parts of, this, of the world. Oh, um, I'm Hoshman Ismail. I live in the UK, but I'm originally uh, from Iraq and I'm Kurdish. I was born and brought up in Iraq and um, I even have finished my military college there, but then it uh, didn't work out for me. So I left soon after that uh, for some for many reasons, uh, which I don't want to go too far into it. And I leave. I left to the UK and restart my education um, in a complete new language and a country. So um, currently, um, I'm a PhD candidate at the Department of Law, uh, University of Reading, um, investigating um, um, an interesting subject, uh, but um, challenging uh, as well as in some ways it's a kind to do with genocide. It's uh, the ISIS genocide against the Yazidi community. Um, and also, I'm a sessional teacher at the University of Reading, um, also working as a regional coordinator for Middle East and North Africa in the Journal of on the Use of Force and International Law, Laws Digest of State Practice. Um, also, time to time, I'm working as a legal representative uh, for the asylum seekers in the United Kingdom. Um, previously, I have worked with so many other organizations, such as um, I worked as a Syrian desk officer with Kurdish Human Rights Project in the United Kingdom, and I worked with um, um, 
Racial Equality Council in Swansea. I worked with Red Cross. So throughout my study, uh, which actually I, I completed all my uh, degrees in the UK, so I completed my first degree. It was uh, in international relations and media at Swansea University. Then I did my master as well in international relations, and uh, and I converted my first degree into law, and then now a PhD. So really, um, been here for a while and worked here for a while. And um, it was uh, very interesting. And uh, as I said, I'm very humbled to work with you too. Um, so um, our project, um, Iraqi project uh, for uh, the prevention of genocide, is kind of a grassroots perspective um, that uh, we deal with less powerful, powerful communities in the region who do not have voices in such established states that are dominated by powerful groups. And uh, many of these groups are assisted by the outside powers. So we want to some extent assist them in the way that to have a voice uh, locally, regionally, internationally. And uh, our, again, um, the other purpose of uh, our project, it would be to teach um, our um, followers or uh, the people who uh, we get in touch with, about their rights, because if you do not know your rights, how can you defend your rights, and um, and how can you, how are you able to implement it? So one of these um, people who I'm in contact with are Yazidis. Um, I'm really calling them Yazidis because that's what the real real name is, but usually is known as Yazidis for many reasons, which I'm not probably in the future podcasts. I will explain that in detail. And um, they, uh, they are one of the communities who always been since the rise of the Ottomans in the region and the subsequent authorities in the region have not been able to have their fair trial in Iraq, in the region. Uh, they, um, they sometimes do not want to even attend courts because they think that they have been regarded as devil worshippers and the courts do not treat them fairly. So um, in some other ways, um, also, we want to inform the international community um, through a project about the atrocities committed in the region, mainly the people in international community, not the states, because the states usually are aware through their office, uh, diplomatic offices, or maybe through the intelligence offices or any other ways. But we want to raise the awareness of the international communities about the feelings of the Iraqi people who maybe... Um, also, I mean, Syrians and Yemenis or um, Artsakh and uh, anyone, but it's just our focus on Iraq for this moment. And um, this is really um, for ultimately putting, you know, in place measures to prevent the genocide in, in the first place and uh, to have measures in order for the crime not to happen in the first instance, right? We, we, we try to raise this awareness to stop that before it, ha it happens. Uh, and finally, because as I'm from Iraq, I've seen so many atrocities in the region, uh, and I am really, uh, really want to help to bring peace and stability to the people live that in that part of the world, and they deserve to live as everyone else, and should not be sacrificed by powerful states for their political and economic gains. Of course, we should bear in mind that we should all share re resources 
on this planet and there is enough for all of us but not to the extent of such inequality and hope you can help us to make our dreams come true <laughs> thank you okay. Hoshman no, and Irina that's <laughs> wonderful um, yeah and I think that gives people a good sense of of the difference in our approach from many other approaches to genocide prevention, which is precisely, as you all said, this focus on the grassroots and the global public and acting as a bridge between different groups. Yes, I completely agree with you guys. And I think this podcast is also, it, it fits very well to that project. And I hope we get a lot of uh, a, a big audience because here we are to talk about these topics. We won't only focus in Iraq. We will focus in many other countries and in many other events going on in the world. But in a way that uh, the common person can understand, it's not going to be academic. We will have uh, ordinary language and we will exchange our views. And hopefully, eventually, you'll be able to ask questions and participate uh, somehow so we can answer that and we can spread the genocide prevention, this genocide prevention movement somehow that we, we try to, we're trying to set. So hopefully we'll reach a lot of people with the podcast and have that as part of the Iraq project. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. That's absolutely true. Um, and today, along those lines, we want to focus on the recent visit of the Pope to Iraq, which um, for all of you out there who've been watching the news, you know, I'm sure you um, have heard that it is really history-making, a history-making visit. So we want to dive deeply into that a bit today. Um, to start off that conversation, I just want to read uh, rather quickly excerpts from a, um, a news article that came out on Al Jazeera a couple days ago by an associate professor of history at the California State University in San Marcos named Dr. Ibrahim Al-Marashi. Perhaps we can have him on the show um, at some point. I oh, think that'd that be would great. be great. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, we could. He wrote a great mm -hmm. opinion. He wrote a great opinion piece um, called Pope Francis's visit to Iraq beyond the symbolism. Um, and I want to read it because he outlines very nicely kind of the historical um, background to this visit, the long, long historical background to this visit. And um, you know, some of the ways in which we have to, some of the frameworks we, we probably need to take into consideration when we're thinking about how the Pope's visit may impact uh, peace in the region. So Dr. Al-Marashi writes, on po March 5th, Pope Francis, leader of the Catholic Church, embarked on a historic four-day trip to Iraq where he met with officials, religious leaders, and ordinary Iraqis of all faiths. Remarkably, he went to Najaf, where he visited Grand Ayatollah al-Sistani, the spiritual leader of Iraq's Shia community. The meeting was a significant milestone in Iraqi history and the global history of interfaith dialogue. He also visited the ancient city of Ur, Erbil, the capital of Iraq's Kurdistan region, and Mosul, where he prayed at the ruins of four churches destroyed by ISIS. The Pope's visit to Iraq offers moral support to Iraq's beleaguered and dwindling Christian community and will hopefully encourage the Iraqi leadership to put more effort into protecting the many minorities the country is home to. 
While much can be done to ensure the safety of minority communities, it has to be recognized that their plight has much to do with instability linked to Iraq's century-long state formation process and persistent foreign interference. When he was elected Pope in 2013, Archbishop Jorge Mario Bergoglio of Argentina decided to be named Pope Francis. His choice was deliberate and was made in reference to St. Francis of Assisi, whose legacy the newly elected Pope was inspired by. St. Francis was a Catholic preacher and mystic who, during the Fifth Crusade, set out to Egypt to try to promote peace and spread Christianity. During the Siege of Demetia, in 1219, he crossed enemy lines and succeeded in meeting Sultan al-Malik al-Kamil, nephew of Salah Hedin. He asked the Sultan to embrace Christianity, which the ruler declined to do. Impressed by his audacity, however, he allowed Francis to preach for several days in Egypt. Upon Francis's return to Italy, the Catholic preacher revised the rule of the Franciscan order which he had established to encourage his devotees to live among Muslims peacefully and to avoid conflict. This move was truly revolutionary given the fact that the Catholic Church fully encouraged and supported the Crusades. Some 800 years later, Pope Francis set out to promote Muslim-Christian dialogue, making several historic visits to the Middle East and meeting with Muslim leaders. In 2014, he traveled to Jordan and Palestine. Three years later, he went to Egypt, where he met with Sheikh Ahmed Al-Tayeb, the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar, the prominent, preeminent seat of Islamic learning in Egypt. In 2019, he visited the UAE and Morocco. His trip to Iraq was perhaps the most important and symbolic. It was the first country he decided to visit after the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic, and he proceeded with his plan, despite the spate of rocket attacks and a deadly bombing in Baghdad in the preceding weeks. On March 6th, Pope Francis visited Ur, a Sumerian city that dates back 6,000 years, which, according to the Judaic, Christian, and Islamic traditions, is the birthplace of the patriarch Ibrahim, or Abraham. The significance of invoking Abraham's legacy during the pontiff's speech at Ur lies in the current polemics that imagine a Judeo-Christian civilization in conflict with an Islamic one. By using Abraham's birthplace as a setting for his speech, the Pope stressed the concept of the Abrahamic faiths as a single tradition. Even more important was his meeting with Grand Ayatollah al-Sistani, who has called on Iraqis to protect minorities since 2003. After the meeting, al-Sistani's office put out a statement that the Grand Ayatollah affirmed his interest in Christian citizens living like all Iraqis in peace and security while preserving all their constitutional rights. While Pope Francis's visit to Iraq is undeniably a historic event that could help improve the situation of Christians and other minorities in the country, it has to be recognized that the violence these communities have faced cannot be resolved just through interfaith dialogue. Throughout Iraq's recent history, foreign intervention and colonialism have severely exacerbated ethnic and religious tensions in the country. 
During the British mandate in Iraq, for example, the British colon colonialists actively recruited soldiers from the Assyrian community to set up a security force protecting key colonial properties and military installations. The Assyrian levies, as they came to be known, also participated in the quashing of Kurdish rebellions. The role they played in the colonial occupation of Iraq caused resentment among the Muslim population, which saw them as traitors to the cause of Iraqi independence. This was a typical example of the colonial divide and rule tactic, which sowed division within the Iraqi public. When the Iraqi army sought to disarm these forces in 1933, a year after Iraqi independence was declared, a relatively minor skirmish led to the massacre of hundreds of Assyrian civilians in the town of Sumayil. Um, while dozens of Assyrian villages were looted and burned by local Kurdish and Arab tribes. I'll just add here, stepping away from the article for a moment, that that massacre in 1933 was one of the cases that uh, Raphael Lemkin, the father of ge the Genocide Convention, used in his thinking about um, the term genocide. Um, so the author of this article goes on to say, sim and, and to conclude, similarly, the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003 escalated tensions between the various religious and ethnic groups in the country, resulting in a civil war. The security vacuum left behind by the Ba'athist regime resulted in intercommunal violence, which the Christians and other minorities bore the brunt of. It also facilitated the ISIS invasion of Iraq in the summer of 2014, which pushed the Iraqi state to near collapse. The armed group sought to forge a homogenous state through religious cleansing of the population and public spaces, including antiquity sites related to the pre-Islamic past and religious sites used by minority and heterodox communities. The expulsion of Iraqi Christians from Mosul and the Nineveh Plains, the extermination and enslavement of Yazidi communities, and the destruction of both communities as temples were justified by ISIS's twisted doctrinal beliefs, but were also carried out for material gain. Plundered property and assets helped fuel the ISIS economy, while videos of executions and destruction of religious sites fed the fervor of its core supporters. By the time ISIS was defeated in Iraq, the Christian community, who had once totaled 1.5 million, about 3% of the Iraqi population, was reduced to a few hundred thousand. Other communities like the Yazidis have also been decimated. Helping these minorities recover and rebuild their lives in Iraq has to go beyond interfaith dialogue. It means providing physical and economic security for their communities, which cannot happen while the Iraqi state continues to experience instability and its cohesion is constantly undermined by foreign forces. Indeed, religious leaders have to do their part. And in this sense, Pope Francis's visit to Iraq is a significant undertaking that could help improve conditions for Iraqi minorities. But ultimately, their fate will be determined by the ability of the Iraqi political elite to resist foreign pressure, build a stable and functional state, distribute the country's wealth to its people, and ensure their safety and security. Very interesting. So, Yes, yeah, so I'm going to open good. up this article for discussion. He mentions many different layers of historical context uh, for the Pope's visit and also the limits of, of models like interfaith dialogue to prevent genocide in the context of state weakness and lack of sovereignty. 
Certainly. I, I want to add a couple of things that I thought when I was reading the article, and now that you point out, Elisa, these things. Well, first, uh, I love the historical background about San Francisco de Assis, or is it St. Francis of Assisi, right, in English? Yes, I, right. I, I love that background. I remember when he got elected that we were all quite shocked. Of course, he's from Argentina, so I'm being from Argentina, there's there's a, a second, yeah, a, a second aspect <laughs> to it, right? But I remember when he chose that name that we were quite surprised, but, but we knew because of the work he had done in Argentina internally, right? And um, I think his name sort of sets the future of his work. It showed at that moment where he was pointed out, and I think he's... Since the very first day he he sat in office to say it somehow, he or he was elected pope, he included everyone in his speeches and he was very inclusive of, of, of Muslims, of Islam, because they've been targeted, they've been they've been the victims of, of a lot of violence in many verbal violence, discrimination and actual physical violence because of the different events in the world. So I think I, I, I like the historical aspect of the article. I'm sure you agree with me. And um, the spiritual impact of the visit is something that I think will have also a political impact. I do agree that there's more to do in the that the interreligious dialogue is not enough. But his 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 person as a pope, right? This 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 is so powerful and he also met privately with the president of Iraq, with the prime minister of Iraq, with the prime minister of Kurdistan and also with the president of Kurdistan that I think those meetings hopefully will have that political impact in the political policies of Iraq. And I think the article probably highlights that something Hoshman will probably be able to tell better than us is the corruption in Iraq, the corruption and how sometimes religion has always got involved in that, but not because of religion, but the misuse of religion, as the Pope highlighted so many times during this trip. Violence and the misuse, the political misuse of religion are not religious at all, of any any belief, of any uh, creed, if that is, is the word, the correct word in English. So I think that's something that we will we will see what 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 uh, the outcome with be, will be in the future i i think it will that it will i reiterate it will have eventually a political impact hopefully or i'm just being really really positive one of the most interesting aspects and i like to to make a a, a legal here uh, interpretation of the article is actually the, the the destructive essence of colonialism right he points out colonialism of Great Britain, but we know that eventually and later on, actually, in, 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 in the history of the modern history, contemporary history of Iraq, there, was, uh, there were other forms of colonialism and continued to be. And it's quite interesting because colonialism or external intervention, because now we don't use colonialism anymore, we, it, it's external intervention justified for whatever means, uh, sometimes for humanitarian means, uh, sometimes for other reasons, but that external intervention is absolutely prohibited in international law, except for a few exceptions, right? But it's because it's contrary to the principle of self-determination, which is in the charter of the United Nations established in 1945. Of course, by the time Great Britain was a power where the sun would never... Um, 
go down, right? That's what they used to call the, it had more than 67 colonies all over the world. And this is also a topic that has been quite covered by, by uh, genocide studies, what the impact of colonialism in, in future, right? In, 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 in genocides that came afterward, it happened in, in the Americas with, with the Spanish colonialism, it happened in Africa afterwards, it happened, well, the, actually the British and the Spanish crowns committed genocide while being, uh, while having the colonies in, in our territories, but also in Africa, there were a lot of genocides committed after colonialism, and we see this in the Middle East happening for the, for the last 100 years, truly. But I'd like to point out that there is a principle of self-determination, which implies that, of course, the peoples have the right to determine their own future, but also means that there should not be external intervention. That means foreign states or foreign forces should not interfere in a country. And so it goes a little bit against that also responsibility to protect, which in uh, words is fantastic because no one, I think, would be we will oppose to protecting people, but usually in reality it has other uh, interests, unfortunately, not the people, but usually economic political interests. And um, anyway, so I think uh, probably Hoshman will give us some more insight or Elisa on this, on the aspect of internal corruption. We know that uh, there is a lot in the national government and also in the Kurdistan region of uh, autonomous region of Iraq. Um, so uh, hopefully you have better insight on that. <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think Iraq is one of the most corrupted country. And, uh, and Sorry, we why... all say that about our countries, though. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, the issue with Iraq, I mean, Iraq is one of the most rich country in the world, isn't it? It's the very rich and um, you have a complete two classes. Uh, one of them is like very poor and the other class is very rich. Uh, I know the last time I uh, told you that the MP is getting like about um, 13 to 14,000 pounds a month. And uh, in, in and also they get paid for 25 guards, which they, um, um, you know, they send half of the guards back home, and then they, like ghost soldiers, they just take the money uh, from them, and they use their name as just uh, for official purposes. So yeah, we don't want to go into that detail anyway. Just, you know, but anyhow, Iraq. I mean, it's. Um, it's very interesting. It's a cradle of civilization, and it's the um, it's the mother of the religion. And um, there is a lot to say about Iraq. And uh, the issue is with these um, we we call we, they call a minority. I, I'm not very agree in agreement with this word my minority. But the communities live in Iraq. It's uh, Iraq itself. The, the land of Iraq is a very mosaic, and uh, many communities are squeezed into this land and territory. Now it's called Iraq, which is born out from the collapse of the Ottoman Empire in the 1918. So during the rise of the Ottoman Empire, since like 1200 and after, I mean, these communities have been really um, oppressed. And then now we can see that not many, uh, because the, the Ottomans were in, in, we say or not, they were um, in authority. And uh, that's why the Yazidis, the Christians, Khakis, and all these, um, um, communities um, really they are um, 
decreasing in numbers uh, day by day. Um, but after that, um, um, uh, when Iraq was established and born out of the collapse of the Ottoman Empire in 1923, of course, since then, um, even Iraq itself, it is like, it seems like to be appearing as a secular state, but uh, from 23, from 1923 up to 2003, it was a Sunni-dominated uh, kind of, in terms of religion, and also the minority was ruling the Iraqi government. So, and the Sunni sect of Islam was the main religion which was practiced by the authority in, 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 in Iraq. Although 60%, more than 60% of the people in Iraq practicing Shia religion or sect of Islam. So since 2003, when um, after the American or the US-led attack on Iraq, um, then the Shia uh, has been the dominant religion in Iraq since then. So, and as I said, more than 60% of the people um, practicing Shia. Um, for, um, for the Yazidis and the Christians or Anyarsans um, or any other minor uh, religious communities in the region, um, they still face the same issues because for them, I mean, they are unable to be tried for any kind of justice in their own uh, religion and then still since then like for the last we say about 1000 years in the area islam is the dominant religion in the region so but if we come back to pop's visit so we don't want to too much it's nice to talk about history and the politics uh, but of course, I mean, there are multiple perspectives can be made out of Pop's visit to Iraq and the Kurdistan region. First of all, I think he was very brave that he made this time uh, of the year and he visited Iraq. Uh, we had many other young officials try to avoid due to coronavirus, you know, uh, even like the head of state zone. Um, he went to multiple places in Iraq. And I only saw him once wearing masks. And um, the rest of the journey from Iraq, uh, from Baghdad, uh, to different offices in Baghdad, churches and cathedrals and worship places, and then to airport in the Kurdistan region, and uh, to see um, normal people. He wasn't wearing like masks. And then, um, so this is uh, this is really um, kind of very brave, and um, mm-hmm. uh, he 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 met many people. You 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 said that, uh, Iron, and um, uh, his visit was more than just a normal state uh, or religious visit. Uh, but uh, there are many political messages behind. I believe uh, of his visit. Uh, first, we he saw. Uh, a man, um, Ayatollah Sistani, you know, and uh, he's the Shia leader, he's the supreme Shia leader in Iraq, um, and um, who, who does not hold any political position in Iraq, and he's not in authority. Uh, he's purely um, a religious leader, and uh, I think uh, this means a clear message to Iran itself that uh, religion should be separated from a state, because 
Uh, for now, Iran, um, well, shows itself as to be the head of the Shia um, religion and acts on behalf of the Shia people. And um, so using Shia religion to empower its authority in Iran. Um, also, this is a clear message that Sistani carries a weight within Iraq, right? Um, within Iraq itself. Uh, um, and uh, he can be a, of help to negotiate stability in Iraq uh, and in the region, not just Iraq, <clears throat> because it's all interconnected with Syria, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Turkey. You know, uh, we should not forget that Sistani created the uh, uh, popular mo mobilization forces. I mean, these popular mobilization forces are called in Arabic, Hajj al-Shaabi, right? And uh, who fought ISIS. Um, but now the PMF is part of the Iraqi army. It's not like kind of a pure religious army. It's part of Iraqi army officially. And the issue is it's backed by Iran. And sometimes, you know, it has been accused for committing crimes. So probably there, there is something on the agenda too, you know, to discuss about all this. Not everything is to be revealed to the public, but uh, this may also a message to Turkey and the leader, um, you know, its leader about um, the wishes to bring back the region into the, you know, the, the, the kind of a plan of new Ottomanism in the region, you know, Ottoman, new Ottoman Empire. And, um, you know, probably it's like considering Sistani as a savior against that plan, right? And uh, its proxies, um, attacks on Christians, on Yazidis, in the region, including Armenia, of what we have seen in the last in the last year, probably we have seen a lot of uh, going on in the north of Syria, in Armenia, um, and uh, that's out of all the uh, issues, um, problems between the states, the proxies, the um, I don't know non-state actors created for different purposes. Each time, you know, the one of them dies out. Some some other groups are created. So. Really, it's a, a very big help. And uh, I think the visit has angered the Turkish authority, um, you know, in some ways. We should come to that, too. Um, as um, when um, the Kurdish, the Kurdistan regional government um, has created a post stamp, right? And is designed after the visit of POP to the Kurdistan region. The stamp holds the picture of POP with Kurdistan map at the background. And Turkey has now officially asking for clarification of what does this map means and why contain the cities <laughs> in the southeast of Turkey and threatens the Kurdish, you know, it has threatened the Kurdish authority to give a official clarification. Oh, that's very interesting, you know, after this visit, see what is, you know, what what, 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 next, what, what next comes. So it's, it's, but, you know, overall, I think over the top of everything, I mean, that visit kind of give us a, a new message that, it's a sign of defeating ISIS, right? Because then it tells us that ISIS has been defeated, and uh, especially when Sistani had a role in establishing the PMF, who played good role, key role, as the religious army in defeating ISIS, since the army of Iraq was too weak at the time. Because um, it, it's like all collapsed. I mean, we remember that when Mosul, like in, on, uh, I think it was on the 10th, and he, 9th and 10th and on the 11th of June 2014 the whole city collapsed to ISIS 
And I hear that only 200 ISIS fighters were coming to the city. And that is like about 500,000 people left the city and 70,000 Iraqi army, or you know, including officials, soldiers, and everyone just ran away. And they left 500 right, million dollars for ISIS cash in the bank. And all the, I mean, weapons, ammunition, and everything for ISIS to ready, just ready to use, right? And I mean, Sistani is very proud of that, and uh, Pop's visit is very important. So they can work together, you know, they can work together. That and uh, the PMEF, if we say or not, I mean, saved communities, right? Uh, I mean, helped the Yazidis, they helped the um, Christians in some ways, you know, and um, probably that's part of the discussion too, uh, in between them, and. Um, Really, um, another important um, is a kind of um, giving um, kind of reinforcement and uh, a support to, relig to some groups like Christians and Yazidis in Iraq and Syria. Okay, you have a backup, you have a support from us. Okay, you are not left behind. Of course, you've been in trouble for the last, you know, especially six, seven years. So reinforcing the existence of Christianity in the region. Right, and um, that's that's very important. And um, uh, above all, like he visited the Ur uh, city or place, which means that it's the brotherhoodness between the older religions of uh, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, because they all born out of that place. I mean, Abraham as the father of all these religions, right? Um, and uh, this is important. Um, for the, the these are like from all Ahlul Al Kitab. Um, so I, just just for you, of course, this is not have been without criticism. Of you know, you know, there are people who are Muslims and they have criticized in some way or another. But I mean, overall, I mean, the the positive side, the pro side of it, is very important. Um, I know I'm just uh, handing back to you, Eli. <laughs> Sorry if I took too much time, but no. I thought this is important. Yeah, oh, it is to, important. For us, yeah, to, for us to hear about what is uh, hopefully bring to us pop in the future, like peace and stability, which is our project is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very important to have your view as someone who is, you know, invested really deeply, um, historically also in in the faith of Iraq. I mean, I think that's one of the um, one of the things that touched me so much when Irena and I visited in 2016 and 2017 and conducted genocide prevention workshops in Iraq was, you know, the potential for peace in Iraq, I truly believe is very strong. Um, we met so many people who had thought a lot about the question of peace and about the causes of war and genocide and and community conflict and who really wanted desperately wanted peace and were devoting their lives to that cause and these are 
you know, leaders or, and officials, but also ordinary people. And so we were really surprised by the number of people that showed up to our genocide prevention workshops and the way that people from different groups, right, so from different nationalities and religions, were able to speak with one another. Sometimes there were serious, in our um, workshops, there were serious differences between the groups, but they were able to make construct bridges, right, um, between their, their different grievances and their different histories of genocide, um, which I just found remarkable. And coming from the United States, Iraq, you know, is sort of associated in our public, um, sort of public representations as it's associated with war and chaos as a kind of lost cause, which of course was created largely by the United States, especially after the illegal war in 2003. Um, you know, and so, so Americans tend to know Iraq from the point of view of that, of terrorism, right, of insurgency, of warfare, and there's uh, just this sense that the, that the place is out of control, which, you know, um, it's absolutely not the case, and I think the Pope's visit demonstrated that. You know, he had a huge security contingent, we know that, but but in the end he was safe. And the people came out to greet him, and he met different religious leaders, as you all spoke about. Um, so there is this longing in Iraq for peace. and. Um, and this is one of the reasons I found the article so important, because it points out that Iraqis are not in control of their own destiny, not fully. Um, and so that's really, and, and I think Irena and I discovered that while we were there, that in Iraq, if it were up to Iraqis, we may have some peace, you know, but... Um, but it's not, and they're just, as, as Hushman, as you're mentioning now, Turkey, the rise of Turkey as a regional power and the rise of pan-Turanism and this kind of new Ottomanism is just adding another layer to this already really complex political situation that, that uh, tends to cause more chaos in Iraq than peace. Yes, Ellie. I well, thank you guys. It was... It was, it's always so nice to hear to you, Hoshman, to hear what you have to say, because, you know, you're from Iraq, actually, and you have uh, more experience than anyone that the both of us, Elisa and I, can, can bring. But I, I do agree, Ellie, with you. We've commented on this so much after our trips to Iraq, because um, we did find that people actually are so eager to know uh, what their rights are. You know, we're you were pointing out about the minorities and the, the need to empower minorities. And we don't like that word because it sort of diminishes. It's a diminishing word for, for different groups. So we tend to use the, the word group, right? Religious group, ethnic group, national group, etc. So the audience will hear us saying groups. Uh, it's, it's usually minorities is used to highlight people, a group of people who have less rights but it's also a diminishing word, so we don't like to use it. But we did find that the different groups were in, in, in search for, even for external help. We felt very welcomed by Iraqis of, of different groups, and we felt very respected about our, our knowledge, and probably a lot of people are also asking about the question of, of us being, about our gender, of us being females, right? Two females traveling in Iraq. We can talk about that in another, in another podcast because that's also very interesting, and that's also interesting to analyze, and probably one of the aspects, gender inclusion, that will bring 
peace to Iraq eventually. I think peace to Iraq cannot happen from one moment to the other. It's certainly a really, really hard work and individually and in groups and collectively, as Elisa said, people want it, people desire it, people are eager to know about their rights and how to exercise them. But unfortunately, there is a lot of indirect external intervention there, political and economic interest, like Turkey fueling ISIS for a very, very long time. Um, I'd like to read something if I have time, Ellie. Ellie is our, 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 our main host directing the show, but I think I, oh, I do have time, absolutely. right? I love yes, to read. Yes, you definitely have time. Thank you. I love to read this message. One of our, our friends and a wonderful young woman from Iraq, uh, uh, Ranin Taher, she wrote me a message. I asked her about the, the Pope's visit and how she felt, right? She's Christian, but I think a lot of people felt like that because as we could see in the images of the Pope's Pope's visit, uh, there were there were every religion and ethnicity was present there with their with their um, particular customs, their dresses. It was it was beautiful to see the images, and it was so touching. And I, I'm sure for you, Elisa, and for you, Hoshman, as well, because we've seen the destruction in Iraq with our own eyes. So to see that that. Uh, uh, spirit of festivity was really hopeful and I do hope it has a political impact as well not just religious so I'd like to read this message she tells me the Pope yes I attended the mass at the stadium in Erville it was it was in the last day amazing day amazing feelings we felt peace by his presence for the first time in my life I see the church and Iraq brightening like that his visit and his words were full of power and wisdom messages. It was really encouraging and a moral rehabilitation for the destroyed church in Iraq. In hope that the authorities of Iraq can take it seriously to modify the legislation to respect the assistance of other minorities and ending the corruption. I think she points out quite a, quite a few interesting things. Like, well, ending the corruption, that's what we were talking about before. And... Um, Unfortunately, a disease spread out all over the world for the lack of ethics and morals of our political elites. That's something we can discuss and can uh, our views and our viewers and audiences can can tell us their opinion and ask questions. But also she highlights the, the need to modify legislation. And that's very interesting. That's something Iraq has to work on in order to start that self-determination to start building a strong state that is inclusive to everyone and finally find stability because like you I'm gonna use your words Hoshman Iraq is a mosaic right you use the word mosaic and from uh, an Ezidi priest uh, we heard uh, the word bucket of flowers remember Ellie Yes. Yes, in, in um oh, what's the name? I forgot the name of the most important religious temple of the Lalish. The Lalish, Lalish. the Lalish temple. Lalish, exactly. Yeah. I apologize for forgetting the name, but in Lalish he told us that that the world is like a bucket of flowers full of different, you know, of different groups. Each each flower is represented by a group or each group is represented by a flower. And if you let one flower die, then it's not as beautiful as it is. And I think that's Iraq. So we do hope our project 
helps that you know we we did feel that when we were doing it in 2017 with Elisa it was it was very it was very clear that slowly things were 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 coming up to a positive outcome and I think now that we have Hoshman included it'll be even better because first of all we don't speak Arabic and we don't speak Kurdish and Hoshman of course speaks Kurdish and and uh, some Arabic as well but that's very important for us to to communicate properly with the people in Iraq. But uh, hopefully this visit of the Pope certainly can reflect on what Ranin said, uh, sort of bring up, uh, change the mind of the politicians uh, in order to start putting legislation on that. Oh, and on that, I, I have to say that the Prime Minister of Iraq actually on the on 6 March, he passed the... He passed like a bill, I guess, saying that 6 March is the National Day of Tolerance and Coexistence now in Iraq. So I think that's, uh, it might seem like a small step, but it's it's important. It's very important. I hope it doesn't just stay on a day. I hope it, 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 it impacts on more. But anyway, I wanted to say that. So um, it's, I think this is a wonderful exchange and hope to have questions from from our audience. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we would uh, love so... Oh, yeah, Hoshman, please. Yeah, there, there was another bill came out, isn't it? Uh, just about a few days ago for the survival, women's survivals of Yazidis. Uh, because, you know, those who um, were taken, kidnapped by ISIS, and then later when they were either bought back by their family uh, through paying ISIS money, like, in, so in whatever way... Um, they didn't have any choice. I mean, because there was a lot of problems because of the cultural issues and the Yazidis, and then how to reconcile these women with their community, with their religion, with their, you know, with their family, with all this. Or oh, some of them they just had lost everyone. No one left in their in their family. And then some of them they just have you know, kind of children from from the, these ISIS people. And then um, so they really, in some ways, uh, they were just completely. Um, out of everything, uh, and um, they were stigmatized, okay, by um, by what the, they have been through, which is the, the unfortunate thing is nothing was in their uh, in their hand, so it's all happened to them. But uh, we, we can't do like we can't do so much fighting against the, the kind of culture and religion. You know, every culture and religion they have their own traditions and rules and principles, but that 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 rule is really good because I mean, hopefully they will put in practice soon. Then they can, hopefully you know, give them some accommodations and then give them some money to just you know the mother looks up their children and then they can, um, in in a in a community like Iraq because, you know, women usually don't work there, right? And um, usually they are, you know, they kind of men are the main workers in the community. Uh, so yeah, uh, I just want to add up this, and then a plus of that. Um, um, really, I mean, the the, the issue is not um, just some more additional comments. Uh, the, the the issue is not really between the grassroots people, but it's mainly between politicians who use yeah. the religion as a tool to gain power. Certainly, right, and um, remain in authority. So, I mean, the, the, you say that you have organized uh, some kind of, you know, workshops, seminars, and tea. everyone likes, I mean, people want coexistence in the region. People want, you know, they, people are really bored of war and fighting. You know, this country has been in war for a very long time, and it, it has always been in war, right? I mean, since I was born, 
I mean, I, I'm a, I was born like in 1970s, but then the first thing happened to me was my house was uh, completely, my, my village was destroyed and then they were taken to completely a strange place and then we really um, rehoused in a collective towns where people um, being kind of ready for being genocided, right? So these collective mm -hmm. towns to bring all the people together. It's just like, you know, we, we heard about the camps for the Jews in the yes. 1940s. Yeah, Nazis, yeah. So, you know, I mean, in the 1980s, Iraq went through a big war with Iran until 1988, um, and then, you know, genocide happened throughout this time against the Kurds, and then 1989, the war stopped. 1991, Iraq attacked uh, Kuwait, 1990 it was, and then uh, 1991, yeah, the they yeah. attacked Iraq, you know, and then it was a civil war, and then in 2003, another war, and then ISIS came in 2014. So Iraq is just like, people are just want to peace and just want to sit down, and it is not up to them. It is like the whole thing comes to them, you know, like the ISIS came, God knows where they came from. I mean, they came from everywhere around the world. I mean, from all, all the countries, and they, they just found a sphere of influence, a gap, the military gap, and then a gap, political gap, and then um, every gaps in the region, and they just build up their own state. They wanted to invade the whole land and uh, expel all the people. So, but, you know, tell you about one thing is the Iraqi people are very kind to their guests, okay? So, and love their hos hospitality uh, in general. And uh, so um, they, they, they feed you too much, right? With tea, with food, and everything. <laughs> That's very true. When you've been there, Wonderful right? food, they, by the way. They don't let you go, right? They don't let you go without food. And they don't like even have hotels in their cities. Some of their towns and cities still don't have hotels. You know, because they feel shame, like if their guests go to the hotel. That's not, not appropriate for the kind of this mm -hmm. culture. So really, it's our aim now in this project to bring all these people back together and to understand each other and to go back to their um, kind of principle, you know, the root principles and uh, their old traditions and, um, you know, to, to really save this type of thoughts in that part of the world. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, our project is one really to, to prevent the genocide, to prevent those people to die out. Because, you know, I, I'm not sure if our audience understand genocide, like, you know, probably some of them, but I mean, in legal words, right, genocide is a complete elimination of a group. So that means people without done anything, without committing anything, any crimes or any bad or any wrong, they are killed, they are kidnapped, they are, you know, they have been treated really badly because simply they are part of a group. And that's it. And it, if, if there is no Christians in Iraq, if there's no Yazidis in Iraq, if there's no Arsenes in Iraq, so many traditions and uh, so many nice um, um, kind of culture and food and just, just, just like think of simple things, go die out. Um, so yeah. hopefully now we, we, our audience will help us to be able uh, to carry on with our project and we look forward to hearing from everyone um, and um, uh, to be able to uh, transfer news and we inform them about those parts of the world and um, 
back to you, Ellie. Sorry, <laughs> all the time. No, no, I think engaged. this is, well, I mean, there's so much to talk about, and I think we're going to be doing that over our next sessions, you know, and one of the things you guys, or some of the things you guys mentioned, which are really important in practical genocide prevention, you know, is, is the need sometimes for national political leaders to have outsiders to help with prevention efforts. So I think it was very helpful that that the Pope came, right, and gave this message of intercommunal peace. And it seems to have made some space for the Iraqi PM to, um, to pass these laws or orders, right, to create these days of tolerance. Uh, so I think that outsiders can play a very important role, but they have to be somewhat universally respected. And, and the Pope certainly is that, right? Um, you know, another is the importance of kind of cultural richness and the cultural texture to prevention. Iraq has, just to, to talk about hospitality, Iraq has so many traditions like that um, that are very conducive to peace. Peace between Iraqis and the outside world, but peace among Iraqis internally as well. And in a sense, it is... Um, it is the lack of power of those institutions and those cultures that, um, you know, that is reflected in the politics today. And so there have been discussions of using those cultures for reconciliation. You know, and these are issues that, that we face in our project and that other people working on genocide prevention face. And we'll be discussing them a lot more um, in our podcast with others who we invite to our podcast as things continue. So I think that, um, you know, now may be a good time to stop. We've presented these these issues, and they're issues that our listeners can think about for our next program. And also, we welcome anyone to, um, to get in contact with us. You can do so through our website, iraqproject.com. You can also do so through the Patreon platform. So for those of you who are interested in subscribing to our podcast, we are on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's a very easy app to download on your phones, and you can also find it on the web. And we are the Anti-Genocide Coffee Break, a multinational podcast. So I want to thank my co-hosts, um, if you guys have anything very, very, very short to say to our audience before we sign off, please hop on in. Um, and if not, I'm Elisa von jürgen Forgi, and I'm here with Irena Victoria Massimino and Hoshman Ismail, and we're looking forward to seeing you next time. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I hope that everyone will stay in good health in this time of the year, and hope uh, to talk to you soon again. Yeah. Yes. yes, thank you guys. Goodbye. Stay Goodbye. safe. Bye for now. Yes, yeah, stay, stay safe. safe. Stay healthy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.